we're going to get back into this um, series that we have started. And I'm sorry if I'm a little out of sorts. I got a phone call from my dad earlier saying my mom's not doing well. But I'm going to try to stay focused on the message. Be praying for my mom. And there are several, several others in here you've told me as you came in this morning that you yourselves are struggling with some issues. So we understand that. We're going to have a time of prayer at the end of service. And if you want uh, to, to be prayed for uh, or there's a situation that you would like others to pray about, Please feel free at the end of the service to come up and we'll do that. Anointing you with oil if you're sick, uh, as we're instructed to do in James 5. Whatever you need today, man, that's, that's why we gather here for such times as this. Uh, I want to get back into this series that we have started going through the book of Colossians. We're looking right now at the practical aspects of what it means to, to follow Christ. How, where the rubber meets the road, if you will. We, we've, the first two chapters, Paul spends a lot of time talking about the doctrine of Christ who Christ is and what Christ did for us and, and, how, and the all-sufficiency of Christ, that He is all we need. And the, the emphasis in the first two chapters is for us to stay focused on Christ, not to get distracted uh, or get our eyes off of Him, but to stay focused on Christ, His finished work for us on the cross, the forgiveness that we've received in Him, the power that we receive uh, through Him to, to live a life that brings glory and honor to God. Now in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, we get to the practical applications of that doctrine. Listen, if what you know about Christ isn't changing your life, then you don't know who Christ is for real. What, if you have got your eyes on Christ, your life will be in constant change, transformation, because that's what Christ intends you to do. He loves you so much, He went to the cross and died for you. He accepts you as you are, but He loves you enough, He's not going to let you stay that way. He's going to change your life. If your life isn't changing, there's something uh, missing in your understanding of who Christ is and what he's done, okay? So he gets down to the practical application of how to follow Christ, what it means to live for Jesus. Uh, we've, been, we've spent the last four, I'm sorry we're taking so long to get through these three verses. I was apologizing to Brian yesterday, I have never taken so long to get through three verses. And we're only today going to get to the second one. <laughs> sorry, we got one more, okay, but... We're going to talk about forgiveness today. There are certain attitudes and behaviors that no longer should be part of our lives. And, and we talked about that earlier in, in chapter 3. We talked about some attitudes and behaviors as a spiritual makeover that, that we're undergoing as followers of Christ. And there are certain things in our life that just don't belong anymore. It doesn't matter what the standards of the world are. What matters is who Christ is calling us to be and how Christ is calling us to live. So there are certain attitudes and behaviors that just don't belong in you and me anymore. And we need to go through our spiritual closet and remove those things. Paul said, put them to death. Get rid of them. Burn them. Put them in a pile and just burn them. Don't, don't have anything to do with these things. Sexual immorality. Lust. Get rid of it. Greed. Get rid of it. Whoops. Anger. Rage. Filthy language. Get rid of those things. They do not belong in your life anymore. Let me tell you something. James puts it this way. If you say you follow Christ, then how can cursing come out of the same mouth as blessing? It should not be, my brothers. You can't look at somebody and say, bless you in the name of Jesus, then turn to somebody else and say, I curse you in the name of Jesus. It doesn't work that way. And so Paul is saying you need to go through your spiritual closet, go through your hearts, examine yourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and throw out any attitude or behavior that doesn't belong. Get rid of it. Put it to death. He said, but there are some other attitudes and behaviors that demonstrate who you are in Christ. 
They prove that you are who you claim to be. We talked about the identity that Christ gives us. In Christ, we are chosen. In Christ, we are holy. In Christ, we are dearly loved. And out of that should flow some attitudes and behaviors. Listen, out of your identity will flow who you really are. You will see who you really are by what's going on inside your heart. Listen, you know what Jesus said? Out of the abundance, the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. We have to understand who we are in Christ so that our behavior will match up with our identity. So he says there are some things that do belong in your closet, and every day, he says, clothe yourselves with these attitudes and these behaviors. We're going to get to this in just a minute. I'm going to read the passage of Scripture, but he talks about compassion. Clothe yourself with compassion. We talked about this last week as well. Kindness. Humility. I went blank. What's the next one? Gentleness. Patience. These are the things that we're supposed to clothe ourselves with. These things should be hanging in our spiritual closets, at least until we get ready to get dressed in the morning. And then we take these attitudes with us wherever we go because they prove that we are indeed who we claim to be. Isn't it interesting to you that even non-Christians know how Christians are supposed to live? And they're like pointing it out, don't they? Even a non-Christian, even somebody that has no idea what the Bible has to say knows how Christians ought to live because they're quick to tell us. You said you're a Christian and you did that? We as Christians need to, to fully embrace this new identity we've been given, that we are chosen, holy, and dearly loved, and we ought to clothe ourselves appropriately so that we can represent our Lord as he deserves to be represented in this world. Amen? Today we talk about forgiveness. And I know as I talk about forgiveness today that almost immediately, as soon as I said the word, somebody in your life that has deeply wounded you is now coming into your mind. Because everyone in this room, everyone in this room has been deeply wounded by the words or the actions of another person. You may be sitting beside them right now. Or you may have to get up tomorrow morning and go to work with them. You have been deeply wounded by something they've done to you. And yet you have to deal with these people often, every day. Suffering and offense is just a part of the human experience that we're in. It's just part of being human. You're going to suffer an offense. Maybe it's a friend that said something ugly about you behind your back, betrayed you in some way, and you carry that offense. You carry that wound with you. Maybe a parent abused you when you were a child. Maybe a spouse has cheated on you. Maybe a coworker stole cre the credit for something you did at work. Maybe someone took advantage of you in a business deal, but yet you're having to carry that wound with you. There's, you, you, have, you feel the offense, you feel the hurt. I mean, it's on your mind. You can't help it. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Well, these wounds can, feel, can leave us feeling angry. They can leave us feeling bitter, even vengeful. I had a conversation last week with uh, someone that was talking about how she had been treated in the past by family members. And she said something about, I just want to get even. That's a human, that's a very real human feeling, isn't it? I just want to get even. I just want to get even. 
I want to get what's due me. And, and she's struggling with this, and many of us in this room are struggling with it as well. Listen, these wounds, these wounds can take a toll on us. They can take a toll on us physically and emotionally and spiritually. Holding on to these wounds, these feelings of, of getting even, they, nursing these grudges as some of us do, they, they can lead to everything, doctors tell us, from sleeplessness to hypertension to depression, even suicide. When we nurture these feelings, when we don't address them and deal with them as we should, it can, we, we bring these feelings, this anger, this bitterness into every other relationship as well. It poisons everything. We can get so wrapped up in the pain of the past that we can't even enjoy the present, no matter how good it is. And we know, I, I mean everybody knows, I have talked to rank sinners don't know a thing about the Bible, and they'll be talking to me about the, the hurt of the past, and they will say something along these lines, I know I need to forgive them, but. I know I need to forgive them, but. Because deep down, we know that carrying this resentment, carrying this bitterness is hurting us. We know it. We're losing sleep over it. Our blood pressure, every time we think about that person, our blood pressure spikes. We know we ought to forgive people, but yet we still don't want to. We still don't want to. Instead, we want to strike back. We want to get even. We want to get what's coming to us. We want that other person to hurt just as bad as we hurt. Am I being honest here? So instead of forgiving like we ought to, instead we look for loopholes to hold on to the pain. We're good at looking for loopholes. Forgiveness doesn't have a loophole. You either do it or you don't. There is no such thing as try. You do or do not. There is no try when it comes to forgiveness. Listen, as Christians, we can't just try. We've got to do it. We've got to do it. That's who we are. That's who we are. As hard and distasteful as it might be to forgive, it is our duty. Say that word, duty. It's our duty. It's our duty as Christians to forgive, to forgive, because that's who we are, and that's how we live. Say, say this with me. That's who I am, and that's how I live. That's who I am. That's how I live. That's who I am in Christ. So come on. And that's how I'm going to live. We forgive. We forgive. That's who we are. That's how we live. And we're going to talk about this today. Going to get. Uh, we can't you know, dive into the depths of this because there's a lot going on and some of you have gone through some experiences I don't even begin to understand and uh, we'll be help, uh, happy to help you find some, some help to, to, to get you through this, but I'm telling you right now, you've got to let it go. For your sake, you've got to let it go. Colossians 3, 12-14 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Lord, we love you. And we praise your name. 
We thank you for this word that's so clear to us about your expectations for us. We live in a world that desperately needs to see you as you are. A world that desperately needs the light that only you can give. A world that needs the love that only you provide. You have made us to be that light. You have called us to live in your love. I pray, Jesus, that we would take this word, take it seriously, that we would, each one of us, apply it to our lives. <laughs> I pray that we wouldn't pass it off as someone else's responsibility, but we would see it as our responsibilities to live as we should live because we are who you've created us to be. Help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. I love you and I praise you. I thank you for the clarity of this word. Now help me to get out of your way. You speak through me, Jesus. You speak through me, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, bring this word to life in your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Say it with me. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice to let go of the right to make someone pay for the wrong that they've done to you. It's a choice to let go of the right to make someone pay for the wrong that they did to you. It's a choice to cancel a debt. Hey, girl, it's a choice. It's a choice to part... She's so much faster than you are, Stephanie. <laughs> I love kids, man. I love kids. It's a choice to pardon an offense. It's a choice to wipe the slate clean. It's a choice. Listen to this. It's a choice to offer undeserved love to a person who's hurt you instead of hanging on to the anger or the hatred the bitterness, or even the desire for retaliation. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's an act of your will. Some of you think, I don't have the choice to forgive. And I'm telling you, according to the Word of God, yes, you do. You've got a choice to make. You've come to a crossroads. You're going to be presented with truth this morning. And now you can choose to act on that truth and be set free by that truth, or you can choose instead to hold on to your anger and your resentment, and you will suffer because... Not because God wants you to suffer. That's a choice you've made. You get that? A lot of us are walking around struggling with, uh, and, and suffering uh, from all kinds of things, and it's because we just simply won't let go of what God is telling us to let go of. We, in the Bible, we are given a clear call to forgive. We as Christians cannot escape what God is calling us to do here. It is our duty. We are called to forgive. I'm just going to point out a few verses here. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount as Christ preached it. He says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You think he's serious about it? Matthew 18, 21 through 22, and then verse 35 to finish it up. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. There goes that loophole again. I'm looking for a loophole here, Jesus. Come on, man, cut me some slack. There's no loopholes here. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 
Another uh, uh, translation says 70 times, seven times. Which is, he's, Jesus is speaking hyper, hyperbolically here. He's just saying, listen, there's no limit. This extends on and on and on. You forgive as many times as you have to forget. Then he follows it up by sharing the parable of the ungrateful servant. Go read it. It's an amazing parable. It's stressing again the importance of forgiveness. In verse 35 he says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Mark eleven twenty-five. Jesus uh, speaking, he says, And when you stand praying... If you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. You want to get what you ask for in prayer? You need to let it go. There may be some things you have to let go to make your prayers more effective and powerful. Luke 17, 3-4 says, So watch yourselves. Jesus speaking again. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. We're look, loop, no loopholes. There are no loopholes here. Ephesians 4.32, Paul picks up that topic of forgiveness and carries it out and speaks to it several times in his letters. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgives you. No loopholes here, guys. No shortcuts. This is something that we are faced with. If we are who we claim to be, then we will learn to let it go. We will make the choice to forgive. No matter how unpleasant or distasteful it is, as God's chosen, holy, dearly loved children, we are going to learn how to let it go so that we can live as we should live and be who we're supposed to be to this world. Why forgive? Why does God make such a big issue out of forgiveness? Why does he make it such a big deal? Well, first of all, because it reflects God's character. It is who God is. It reflects his character. Forgiveness reflects God's character. When we as children forgive others, we reflect the character of, of our Heavenly Father. He is our standard, right? This world doesn't offer us a standard anymore of what, of what we should do, how we should live. It's God himself who gives us the standard, and God says, I am a God of compassion and forgiveness. You be a child of mine and as you forgive and as you show compassion. We're to be like him. We're to forgive as he has forgiven us. Get that connection? We are to forgive as he has forgiven us. Say it with me. I am to forgive as he has forgiven me. I am to forgive as he has forgiven me. Can I ask you a couple questions? How much has the Lord forgiven you? What if God was looking for loopholes? How big was your debt to God? How many times did you hurt him? How often did you ignore him? And go on to do what you knew was wrong anyway. But when you came to your senses and you turned to the Lord for forgiveness, where did you find him standing? He had his arms open wide, didn't he? He had his arms wide open to you, saying, look, you don't know this, but I have already forgiven you. I was just waiting for you to turn around and come back. Isn't that the story of the prodigal son? 
you're forgiven already. Jesus died on the cross for your forgiveness. It's just that we haven't yet received it until we come to our senses and turn around and head back to the Father. Then all of a sudden, whoa, we find out. He's been waiting on me all this time. That's to be who we are. That's how we represent the world. God forgave you. He let it go in the same way we let it go. And we forgive. Listen to what God says about himself in Isaiah 43. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and what? Remembers your sin no more. Aren't you glad about that? He doesn't drag it up and hold it against you. He lets it go. C.S. Lewis said this, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. You want to truly live as Christ would have you live, you let it go. You let it, because that's who God is. And he wants us to be holy even as he is holy. We're most like God when we forgive others as he has forgiven us. Let me say that again. We are most like God when we forgive others as he has forgiven us. Because it reflects who God really is. So the first reason God makes it such a, a big deal is because it reflects who he is. The second thing is this. Forgiveness releases us. Forgiveness releases us. Forgiveness is just plain good for you. It is. It really is. Forgiveness is just plain good. They started doing scientific research on the power of forgiveness back in the 80s. You ought to go back and read uh, this, the concept of forgiveness as it's developed in, in, within, within the uh, academic circles. Uh, medical research shows this. Medical research shows this, that people who practice forgiveness have lower blood pressure, they suffer fewer heart attacks, fewer strokes, they sleep better, and they live longer. Scientifically documented fact, buddy. Psychologists say in their studies that people who forgive handle stress better, they are happier, they have higher self-esteem, they enjoy stronger marriages and healthier friendships. I'm telling you, forgiveness is just flat out good for you. Forgiveness releases you to enjoy life. Try a little experiment with me here. Take your right hand and form a fist. And hold that fist as tightly as you can. Just hold it as tightly as you can. I mean, hold it tight. Hold it tight. That's not a fist, man. That's not a fist. This is a fist, man. <laughs> Come on, man. Fist, man. Hold it. Now, okay, it's been, about, it's been about a minute. Is that starting to get uncomfortable yet? Is it? I mean, are you squeezing? Is, is it starting to get uncomfortable yet? Come on. Hold it tight now. Hold it tight. I, I just want you to imagine holding it like this for an hour. Hold it like this for a day, a week, a month. Hold it like this for a year. How do you think your hand's going to respond? It's going to want to fall off, right? Because the blood pressure's been cut off. It's uncomfortable. You're going to, you know, can you imagine walking around? That's what, that's what unforgiveness does to us. It just creates all this inner tension. And we, it just, it, it builds up over time. And you, you want to tell yourself, well, I, I, I've, I don't even think about it anymore. How come you still wake up and that's the first thing you're thinking about in the morning? How come when you lay your head down on the pillow, you can't get that person off your mind and that hurt your feelings? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. 
How come you explode at the people who've done nothing wrong to you, but yet it just seems to come out of nowhere? It's emotional vomit. Where do you think it's coming from? From that hurt you haven't let go of yet. It's making your life miserable. It's tainting all of your relationships. It's keeping you angry, stressed out. Your blood pressure spikes all the time. You don't even know why. I don't know where it's coming from. Boom! Because you haven't let it go. Forgiveness releases you. It lets you live the kind of life that God created you to live. It helps you to let go of that pain so you can go on to enjoy life as God intends you to enjoy it. Forgiveness releases us. James 1.25 says, But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I'm telling you, as we obey God and forgive others, we will live in his freedom and blessing. It's part of living in this perfect law that brings liberty. Let it go. Let it go. It releases us to enjoy life as God intends his children to enjoy it. So forgiveness reflects the character of God. Forgiveness releases us. And the third thing I want to point out to you is this, and I think in some ways it's the most important. Because every sinner deserves a Savior, right? Forgiveness opens the door for God to work in that other person. Forgiveness opens the door for God to work in that other person. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Look, when we forgive others, we give them a taste of the total forgiveness that's freely theirs in Christ Jesus. It gives them a taste of what they can enjoy if they turn to God. As we obey God and forgive others, we give them a taste, a foretaste, if you will, of glory divine. When you release someone from their debt to you, it may lead them to turn to God to receive debt, uh, to receive forgiveness for all of their debt. A little taste of grace may leave them wanting more. A little taste of grace might leave them wanting more. Lay's Potato Chips had a commercial a long time ago. Bet you can't eat just one. Do you remember a time when you know that you offended somebody, but they came to you and said, I forgive you? I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. Has anyone ever experienced that? How did it feel? Like a burden was lifted off your back? Like an obstacle was removed out of your way? How did it feel to get that little taste of grace? Guess what? A little taste of grace like that may release that other person that you've forgiven to enjoy the kind of life that God has in mind for him too. may leave him wanting more. There's a story about a guy uh, uh, that I've had the opportunity to meet and, and certainly read a book that, uh, a couple of books about him. Nicky Cruz. Anybody ever heard his name? Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz was a gang member in the 50s back in New York and uh, was one of the most notorious gang members. He was from Puerto Rico, Originally, he had uh, gone on to, uh, uh, to New York as a teenager and gotten involved in street gangs, and uh, he was an incredibly violent, evil uh, young man. An evangelist named David Wilkerson uh, came to New York and began to preach in the streets to the, to the gang members, and he felt led by the Holy Spirit to really kind of seek Nicky Cruz out and target Nicky. 
uh, with the gospel. And, and uh, as David would preach in the streets, um, Nikki would often come around the corner and there David would be, and then David would try to strike up conversations with Nikki to present to him the gospel and tell him how much God loved him. And this, this would, you know, several encounters took place like that. Uh, and I want to just read a, a, a part of this story to you as, as Nikki told the story in a magazine article. Um, and this is Nikki speaking. He, Wilkerson, risked his life to tell me there was hope. I heard his voice. God has the power to change your life, Nikki. I started cursing loud. I spit in his face and I hit him. I told him, I don't believe in what you say and you get out of here. Nicky said he never expected what he heard Wilkerson say next. Wilkerson replied, you could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them in the street. Every piece will still love you. It did damage, Nicky said, good damage in my brain and in my heart. I began to question and for two weeks I could not sleep thinking about love. Wilkerson extended forgiveness and love to Nikki instead of bitterness and hate like everyone else. And that opened the door for God to work in Nikki's life. And for those of you that don't know, Nikki Cruz went on to become an evangelist and he himself won thousands of people to the Lord. I'm just saying there's something powerful about us when we choose to forgive instead of respond in bitterness and hate to people that hurt us. It gives people a little taste of grace, the grace that's available to them in Christ Jesus. It opens up the door for God to do a miraculous work in their life. That's one reason why God wants His children to forgive, to live in forgiveness, because it will open the door for Him. It cracks the door open just a little bit so He can step on in and, and, and begin the work that He started through our ministry to that person. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. God's going to use the forgiveness you extend to another person to, to do an even greater work of God in their life. Because if they get a taste of grace, it may leave them wanting more. I don't know, I've heard story after story. I didn't want to you know, get into all this, but I, I've heard story after story of people who have experienced a life-changing power of God in their own life and they struggle especially I don't know why parents parents we do you know what it is I think we're hurt most by the people we love most they hurt us the most deeply don't they I mean if it's a stranger and you don't you don't care if they cut you off in traffic and flip your bird you let that go right who cares but you don't expect your dad to do some things that your dad has done to you or your best friend to treat you the way they treated you. So we're, we're, we're most deeply hurt by the people we care about the most. Isn't that true? And I've heard story after story of men and women who were deeply wounded, especially by parents. And somehow God brings them the opportunity. Sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's at the very end of life, but... God gives them an opportunity, those people, to go back and extend forgiveness to the mom or the dad or that loved one who had hurt them so deeply when they were younger. And it's like that 
cracks open the door for God to come in and do something even more extraordinary like save that person before they pass. And, and I, just, I just really think, God, guys, that much like Joseph, who was deeply hurt by his brothers, that that wound you have suffered was intended to hurt you and to harm you and, to, and, to, and, 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 and had an evil intent. But God is going to turn it around and use that for good. Joseph looked at his brothers in the book of Genesis. We just read it if you're in the reading program with us a couple of weeks, maybe a week ago. What was intended to hurt me, God has used for my good and to save my family. Guess what? That hurt that you, that's been inflicted upon you in the past, I believe with all my heart, Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those called according to his purpose. God is going to somehow use that wound to open up the door to that other person's heart so that he might work in them to an even greater degree. That taste of grace they get from you might make them want more of his grace in their life. Does that make sense? So don't short, listen, if we look for loopholes and try to get out of this, we may be keeping someone from the life-transforming grace of God. You see that? You see that? Let God use you. Even in that hurt, he's going to use that hurt, that offense, that pain, to win somebody to him because that's who he is and that's how he works. He's an amazing God. He's an amazing God. All right, let me, let me go on with it. I'm sorry. I'm, I've gotten sidetracked here. For, let me share with you a couple principles of forgiveness. I, I, I want to share this with you. and We're coming close to the end couple principles I want to leave you with because I really want you to put it into practice. This is a lifestyle that we live. It's who we are. It's how we live. We forgive. It's who we are. It's how we live. We forgive. First of all, it takes God's help. It's going to take God's help for you to live in forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't easy. So don't think that it's going to be easy. Forgiveness doesn't come naturally because when someone hurts us, we want justice. When someone hurts us, we want to get even. That's the fleshly response. That's our natural human response. But here's the deal. With God's help, with God's help, we can let it go. With God's help, we can forgive. Forgiveness will require God's supernatural help. And you say, Mark, I could never forgive this person for what they've done. I can't do it. I cannot let it go. And I would respond to you this way. I would respond to you using the words of Jesus. Everything is possible for him who believes. Everything is possible for him who believes. Does God want you to forgive? Does God want you to forgive? Absolutely. Will God help you to forgive? Of course he will. If it's his will, you can expect him to help you. That's who he is. And that's who we are in him. Right? It's going to take God's help. No doubt about it. You're going to take God's help to help you forgive some people of the things that they've done to you. But he will help you. The second principle I want to point out is this. It's going to take time. It takes time. Forgiveness is hardly ever an instantaneous affair. Why? Because the roots of bitterness go deep. And some of us have wrapped our entire identity around it. We have lived angry and bitter for a long, long time, so we can't expect an instantaneous change of heart here. 
It will take time. So forgiveness is, is thought, it should be thought of not just as a one-time act as much as it is a process that will take place over time. I hope I'm getting an amen from John right now. It's a process that will take place over the course of time. And I want to describe to you a, a three-step process that I first came, uh, came to my awareness through a teaching I heard by Chip Ingram. I just a really fantastic, I think, way to look at it, using three words. And I want you to write these three words down. Forgive, forgiving, and forgiven. It's a three-step process. Forgive, forgiving, and forgiven. Now let's walk through this process a little bit. Forgive, step one in this process of letting it go. Forgiveness begins with the choice. Again, it gets back to that idea. It's an act of my will. It begins with the choice to let it go. It begins with the choice to cancel the debt. And I hope today, before you leave this place, you will make a choice. I am going to let that go. I'm not going to hang on to that hurt anymore. I will let, I'm going to make a choice today to let it go. Because that's where forgiveness begins, with a conscious act of your will to let it go, to forgive. It's an act of faith, guys. You may not feel it. You may not feel as if you've let it go. It's not about the way you feel. It's about what you do. It's an act of faith to let it go to release that person into the hands of God, to cancel the debt and let God deal with it. Let go of the right to get your pound of flesh. Romans 12, 19 puts it this way, Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God, you know what happened here. I cancel the debt. I, I'm not going to hold it against this person anymore. Now it's up to you to do what's right. Does that make sense? Because isn't that really what we want? We just want things to be evened out here, right? Well, do you realize this? You're not going to stand in judgment over anybody. God is. Why don't you let him deal with it? Which he already has at the cross, amen? So that's, that's the first step. Make the choice to let it go. The second step is this, forgiving. Forgive. That, that implies a process, right? A continuous action, forgiving. Forgiveness continues as you pray for that person. Here's what I would challenge you to do. Every time that person comes to mind, every time that offense is brought to your attention in some way, pray for them. Not pray for them to get it. God, get them. Come on, God. You can do it. No, not praying that way, but praying instead. God, would you bless them today? I make a conscious choice. I've, I've let the, the debt go, but I'm still thinking about it. Now, God, I pray that you won't cause them harm, but God, bring them to their senses. God, would you bless them today? Would you help them today? Does that make sense? You know, it's hard to hate somebody you're praying for. Or it's hard to keep hating them anyway if you're praying for them. Again, but that's going to take an act of the will. You may not feel like praying for them, but you are determined that is what I will do because that's who I am and that's how I live. Get it? That's who I am. That's how I'm going to live. So I will pray for them. I will pray that God will bless them. Jesus says in Luke uh, 6.28, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You think God's going to help you do that? If it's His will? 
Absolutely. The third step of the process is forgiven. Forgive, forgiving, and forgiven. You know you've finally forgiven somebody when you hear something good about them and you're genuinely pleased by it. The wound is healed. The pain is gone. The offense has been overcome. You see, forgiveness is, re is real when hate replaces love. Amen? Forgiveness is real when the resentment turns to rejoicing. Forgiveness is real. That's when you know you've let it go. When you hear something good has happened to them and you're genuinely happy for what the Lord has done in their life. Especially if that, if that something good is that they turn their heart over to the Lord. I don't know many people that would be sad to hear that the person that harmed them the most came to Jesus. There may be some of us out there. If, if, if you are, then please get, get real with God today. He needs to do some healing in your life. Luke 6, 35, 36 says, But love your enemies, do good to them. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. You know that the process is complete when you're genuinely happy that the Lord has blessed the one who's hurt you. Listen, I want to bring it to an end. And uh, there are all kinds of folks in this room, and I don't know all that you've been through. I have no idea. I really don't. Some of you I know have been, or statistics would say, and my experience would say that some of you in this room have been deeply wounded by people who you should have been able to trust, but they violated that trust, and they hurt you deeply. And uh, I'm here to tell you as, not just as a pastor, and not just, as, not just because this is what I'm supposed to say to you, I stand up here today as a representative of Jesus Christ, a God who loves you more than you could possibly know. A God who willingly clothed himself in flesh came to live among us to show us how to live, but then in spite of his perfect holiness and perfect life, went to the cross to die for us. To pay the penalty for our sin. Listen, man. He didn't do that because it felt good. He didn't do that because it was a thing to do. He did that out of love, pure love for you. And now he looks at us and he says, You're holy. You're chosen, and you're dearly loved. All your past is washed away. The sins you've done, the wrongs you've done, it's all washed away. As he says, as far as the east is from the west, 
He's never going to remember it again. And because we are so wrapped up in who he says we are, our identity is wrapped up in Christ Jesus. He says, now this is how I want you to live. I want you to forgive. I want you to forgive. I want you to let it go as I have let it go. I want you to cancel the debt as I have canceled your debt. And this, this may be the biggest stumbling block for some of us because we're thinking to ourselves, how could I ever do that? And I'm telling you, stop looking for loopholes. Make the choice. Let it go. The life ahead of you is so much better than the life behind you. Focus your attention and your affection on Christ. Stop looking over your shoulder at your past hurts and offenses. Let it go. No matter how deep the wound, God's grace can heal it. No matter how strong the offense, God's grace has overcome it. And you're saying, oh, Mark, you have no idea. Let me tell you a little story that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I've already shared it with a couple of people. Several years ago, there were some families in this church, and we loved them dearly, and for whatever reason, they decided they couldn't come to, couldn't be part of the fellowship anymore. And there were some hurtful things that were said, and I felt deeply wounded by those things, because it's always the people you're closest to that can hurt you the most, right? Well, two weeks ago, I'm walking into Walmart here in Calera, and just ahead of me, about 10 yards ahead, I see a familiar figure of a friend that I hadn't seen in years, but this friend had been part of that hurtful experience in my life. And I wish I could tell you, man, I realized at that point I was in step three of that process, forgiven. But actually, when I saw it, I realized, no, I'm still in the process of forgiving. I'm telling you, each one of us, each one of us is still growing. Each one of us is still coming to grips and to terms with issues in our life. And, I, you know, don't ever look at me and say, oh, man, he's so, you know, he's on his little pedestal. He doesn't feel what I feel. I'm telling you, yes, we do. I do. Cindy does. Chris does. Brian, everybody. We're all going through the same thing. And I've had, I had to make, it, I had to make another choice at that moment. When I looked at him, everything in me wanted to say, yeah, I hope I bumped into him. I'm going give him a piece of my mind. No. I started praying for him. Now, I didn't try to track him down in the aisles to talk to him. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know how he'd respond to me either, to be perfectly honest. And that would have been a little awkward. But I did start praying for him. Because I'm still walking this thing out too. We're all still walking this thing out. But that's who we are. And that's how we live. Does that make sense?
That's who we are, and that's how we live. We forgive. Even as we've been forgiven, we forgive. 